On this episode of the Haber Show podcast, we'll be talking to Milwaukee Bucks head coach Mike Budenholzer, who many believe is the coach of the year. We'll discuss what it's like to coach Giannis Antetokounmpo, defending the three in today's NBA, Brooke Lopez's surprising range and the secret value of deep threes, and the narrative surrounding that 60-win Hawks team that got swept by the Cavs. I think you'll enjoy that discussion with Coach Bud. But before we dive into it, I did a hit pregame before the Celtics played the Warriors on NBC Sports Boston, and I stressed that the Celtics would probably turn things around. And yeah, that wasn't a very popular take at the time. The Celtics had lost five of the previous six games, and yes, Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown, Marcus Morris, and others had said some wild stuff to the media. It seemed like the Boston Celtics world was collapsing. But I had a feeling that something might turn around. They had the third best net rating in the NBA. Said another way, they had the best efficiency differential in the NBA. Said another way, they outscore opponents by a lot, so much so that it was the third highest margin in the league. 5.0 behind Golden State and Milwaukee, the two juggernauts of the league so far. And studies show that point differential is more predictive than using the traditional win-loss record. If you want to see what a team is going to do in the future, pay more attention to how they do outscoring opponents overall rather than in those 48-minute games. Boston fans thought I was nuts for having faith uh, or Celtics pride, but then they went out and destroyed the Warriors, handing the defending champs their worst home loss in the Kerr era. And look at that. Guys, the Celtics will have a bumpy road going forward. Every team does. Gordon Hayward looked great, but looking great consistently is the next big obstacle for him. I still believe in this Celtics team. They're going to be a legit candidate to make the finals, soap opera aside. Sometimes you have to trust the numbers and separate the signal from the noise. That's a great Nate Silver book. You should go pick that one up. I saw him at the MIT Sloan Conference, and it's front of mind. But seriously, this is why you use the numbers Sometimes the noise, the soap opera, and the spats in the locker room, sometimes that stuff doesn't matter as much as we think it does. So sometimes you got to look at the numbers. Hey, uh, one last thing. We're going to talk about the BOGO 3 effect later. Just know that after we recorded this, researchers found the effect to be a little smaller than originally thought, but it's still a thing. So keep that in mind as we get nerdy about rebound strategy. You'll understand later. All right, without further ado, let's get to Mike Budenholzer. What's happening, my man? Not much. How you doing, Tom? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Uh, you are 48 and 16. You've won 75 percent of your games. You're two and a half games up on the Toronto Raptors. The best Bucks season since '72, when they went 63 and 19 with some guy named Kareem on the team. So you're on pace for 61 wins. And a big reason why is Giannis, who in my book is the favorite for MVP last year. I think he went 0-3 against Giannis uh, with the Hawks. So were you like at all, any point being like, I'd love to coach that guy one day? Yeah, no doubt. You know, whenever you're on the uh, opposite bench, you know, you're, you're obviously focused on your team and all that good stuff. But, you know, when you see greatness on the other sideline and greatness on the other team, you're like, wow, you know, someday um, coaching him would probably be, uh, <laughs> would make me a much better coach. I know that for sure. So, you know, you see those guys around the league and, you know, when you get a, a, a good fortune or the opportunity to coach them, it's a special thing. So I'm um, enjoying it. And, you know, I think the whole group around Giannis has been great to work with. And so, yeah, a lot of good things happening in Milwaukee. Yes. Yes. I would agree with that. And I think, 
you know, you've surrounded him with shooters and you've had this system where it's uh, predicated on, you know, maximizing the space for Giannis and letting him do his thing. I, I like to call it like a symbiotic relationship. I watched it in Miami when I was covering that championship team uh, surrounding the big three with shooters. But I, I wanted to hit on this thing. Giannis leads the league in dunks at 229 total this season, which is about four per game. I wanted to know how many times this has happened, so I looked up basketball reference, and since they started tracking shot data since 2000, reaching 229 has happened 11 times. So we've seen this happen 11 times. But more amazingly, Mike, I did the math and figured out that he has 97 unassisted dunks, which is more than the next two highest combined this season. Rudy Gobert and Ben Simmons don't even get to 90. So Giannis had 57 unassisted dunks last season before he took over, and 97 is the most in this millennia. The previous record post-2000 was 95 by Dwight Howard in 07. Shaq did 93 in 05 with the Heat. And most of those, I'm guessing, were putbacks. My question for you, though, Mike, is when you took over from Milwaukee, were you just like, hey, my offense is going to be get out of the way and let Giannis dunk? <laughs> well, I, I do believe there's something to be said for simplicity. So, um, and I think, you know, sometimes things that are simplest are the best. And so, uh, I know you're a little bit of humor mixed in here, but it's, uh, there is certainly a kernel of truth, you know, and that we just, you know, we wanted to give him as much space and, and get out of his way. And, uh, you know, I guess I didn't know that, you know, how much force he played with and how many dunks there would be and all that good stuff. But, yeah, it's a big part of what we do. Do you watch him and say, oh, yeah, he can't dunk that. He just dunked that. No, there there's times when he's going through the paint and has people on him and grabbing him and holding him. And, and he rises up. And, and yeah, some of the dunks he has are just you know phenomenal. And after the games, you kind of, you know, you'll be in the locker room and say, did he do that? That type of stuff. So, you know, we're certainly uh, fortunate to be able to watch him play with the force and power that he does every night when he's in the paint. I'm imagining when I saw you at Charlotte, uh, your kids were with you and it seemed like, man, this has to be like the peak dad moment where you can like go up to your kids and be like, I'm going to coach Steph and Giannis and Joel Embiid. But I'd imagine at home, if you tried to pull that line, like I'm the cool dad because I coach these guys, how much does that get you? with your kids like how far does that go yeah no it doesn't get me too far but uh <laughs> they may give me like 15 or 30 seconds of attention and then they they want to talk to Giannis or, or or Steph or whoever it is themselves they're like bypass dad let's just go straight to the source you're, you're we're kind of tired of you you're old and tired and so can we just get straight to the guys that we really want to talk to and uh so yeah no, it was fun all-star weekend and uh, certainly having my boys and my kids there with me and it's a lot of fun, as you as you know and as you saw. What does an All Star Game Sunday timeout look like? <laughs> what is that huddle? What are you saying to these well, guys? Like, guys, uh, try harder on defense. Like, what what do you say? <laughs> First of all, did you notice or did anybody? I think the timeouts were four minutes. It was something insane. <laughs> like they were doing a Broadway show in the middle of, <laughs> of the timeouts. And so, you know, first you had to be sure you kept your discipline. And you didn't go into the huddle too quickly to, to say your five seconds of whatever it is you're going to say. So stand out there doing nothing for two and a half, three minutes, and then go in. And uh, I think if it was our ball, you know, we drew up a few things, try to get a few guys a shot or do something. Uh, if we were on defense, 
it was a lot of silence in the uh, in the timeouts. <laughs> do you have conversations with the guys beforehand? Just like, hey, what do you, how many minutes do you want to play? What do you want to do? Or do you just kind of wing it as you go along? No, you you know you find ways to just maybe have you know one on one conversation with a few guys, and you throw it out to the whole group. You know, if anybody is you know banged up or feeling a little something, and and you know is is looking to you know keep their minutes down or minimum or not play, you know, obviously come and visit with me. And, you know, we all can kind of understand that the all-star game is, is a great event important, but, you know, I think these guys want to be healthy going back to their teams and, and, you know, preparing for usually a, a playoff run. And then, you know, um, all those things. So, you know, you throw it out to the team and you have some one-on-ones on the side with different guys. And so it's always, you know, I, I, had to do it a few times as an assistant now a couple of times as a head coach it's it's definitely uh probably about the only thing the coach has to do is figure out the minutes so i think malcolm brogdon who's not an all-star but he's close to it this year he's about uh he's in the 50 40 90 club and for those who don't know that's 50 percent from the floor at least 40 percent from three and 90 percent from the free throw line i think he's leading the nba in free throw percentage when you took over um what did you see in Malcolm and how has he maximized his game in your system? You know, I think Malcolm was somebody that we felt was, you know, a really good shooter, somebody that, you know, with time and space could shoot it at a high percentage. Um, thought he was a really, you know, high IQ guy, smart guy, um, could defend, could defend bigger guys. You know, he's really strong. He's got great, great strength and, and you know, big hands, you know, great length. The thing that I didn't realize, uh, you know, coming was, you know, his ability, his drive game, you know, his dribble drive and finish mm-hmm. and um, how he can get to the paint. And we talked earlier about the offense, you know, to kind of get out of Giannis's way. And, you know, the, the offense, to some degree, is get out of everybody's way. You know, we're, we're going to drive it. And, um, you know, it's I think the space that, that hopefully we're creating has given, you know, Eric Bledsoe opportunities to drive it, Chris opportunities to drive it. And then Malcolm has just been a really – his dribble drive and finish has been just a, a great kind of, you know, it's organically come and, and been part of everything we do. So, you know, he's just a really good basketball player and, you know, certainly staying healthy and, and, been a, and can genuinely play the two and the one, like he's, he's, he's kind of equally good at both and just a really, really good player. Yeah. You talk about the length for Brogdon, but everyone on your team, it seems like is just big, Huge arms. If you're not tall, you got freakishly long arms. I think Bledsoe has, has a big wingspan, not just in general, but for his size, mm-hmm. I feel like he has an incredible reach. And yet Ben Falk wrote an amazing story for Cleaning the Glass about how you guys have the best defense in the league. You have wingspan like crazy, and yet you give up, I think, this still the stat holds up, the most threes allowed by any team in the NBA. And of course, that's not by accident. I don't think you set into the season saying, hey, let's just give up all those threes and <laughs> let everybody shoot what they want. Uh, but he kind of went in, Ben, who used to work in the front office for the for the 76ers, just kind of broke down how it might seem like you guys are pretty good at choosing which shooters you allow, quote unquote, to shoot or just finding shooters to run off the line. But given all the length that you have, it seems like maybe one of the strategies was, Hey, why don't we just try to 
reduce threes, you know, run guys off the line and have the fewest threes allowed. How did you make the decision uh, to go with that as your defensive strategy? Basically, let's own the rim and not let anyone go near there. But you know what? If they want to shoot a three-pointer, have at it. Yeah, the English language is so unique and special. It's like, how do you find a way to communicate a phrase? Because we certainly are not happy and we do not want to give up the most three pointers <laughs> in the league. But yeah, it's like, that is reality. That's for sure. You know, statistically what's happening. And, and, uh, so I, I, it's, it's hard to, you know, kind of articulate, but I would say, you know, certainly we feel like we're doing a very good job in the paint and, you know, Brooke and Giannis and Earson and DJ and, you know, everybody that plays for us, um, you know, in the paint, has been really, really good. And, and I do think most defenses, you got to start by taking away the paint. And then the second thing I would say that I think we really want to be together defensively. We really want to be active defensively. We don't want to kind of be a team that's that's leaving, you know, either a teammate on an island or leaving situations on an island. And we want to, I think, with our activity and with our togetherness, be a really good defensive team. And so I think sometimes, you know, and that that I think gener or or leads to a competitive group, a competitive spirit, and you know I think sometimes our activity, our competitiveness has led to obviously teams getting off uh, too many threes, uh, you know, the most in the league, but hopefully they're tough threes, hopefully they're contested threes. I will say the article you're talking about actually made it to my desk, came across my desk, and you know there were some things in it that I would say you know are are interesting and somewhat true and. You know, the, you know, the right people or, you know, I, I would say we kind of try and limit, you know, the better shooters and the, the high level shooters. And, and then I, I don't know that we're so much happy to give them up to, you know, certain people. But <laughs> yes, uh, there is some degree of, you know, who is shooting it, um, not probably to the level uh, but that, that that article said or whatever. But it it is interesting. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you can reduce the really high level shooters. And then, you know, you have a group that's super competitive, super active, does a great job of taking away the paint, does a great job on the defensive boards. The net gain, obviously, has been, you know, really good for us as the number one defensive team in the league so far. But uh, if we could reduce threes, I would actually, I would, I would be happy, happy, <laughs> so happy to reduce our threes. As long as we didn't, you know, if, if we were the 15th best defense and we gave up less threes, that's probably not a very good no. equation. No, be, but I, I wonder about this a lot. How do you determine who's shooter material versus, yeah, you can let him shoot. Like, is it just this year's three-point field goal percentage? Is it career? Because Brooke Lopez is a great example of this. He never took threes, never, for like the first right. 10 years of his career and then became one of the most prolific three-point shooters in the league. And I got to imagine as a coach, you're surprised by who's a shooter, like Blake Griffin, for example. Oh, yeah, he's a great shooter now. How how do you determine who gets the label of shooter? I was going to say there's probably at least four layers. I would say you mentioned three of them, and I would say we we kind of document. Or we, I think you mentioned two of them. I would say there's a third. There's you know what are they just shooting for the year? The most generic. You know if we played sixty games. Most people have enough of a sample size. What are they shooting this year? What have they shot for their career? Which you just mentioned. You know the third thing is what have they shot in the last five games? Um, you know assuming there's a sample size, a guy that shoots enough to have, you know, some kind of data on the last five. And then sometimes the fourth layer is, you know, what, what is this guy's strength? You know, is, is, you know, he just an incredible driver and finisher and, and, you know, creates either for himself or for others. And, 
you know, it's, it's, you, sometimes you have to kind of pick your poison with like a Blake Griffin, you know, like yeah. the, the guy is just, you know, him off the dribble and from the three point line and with a head of steam. And it's just, I mean, he's so good. And so, you know, he may not have the career of making threes to say, well, he's an incredible driver. He's incredible finishing in the paint. He's a pretty dang good passer. And, you know, tonight, you know, if we're going to pick our poison, you know, maybe, maybe Blake's got to make an extra one or two or three before we say, you know what? all right, we've got to adjust and, and, you know, change our thinking on him as a shooter. Yeah, because Brooke Lopez, right now, he's averaging 37% from three, a lot of deep threes, shooting about seven per game. And I remember I had this conversation with you about Al Horford. It must have been five years ago before Al Horford mm-hmm. was a, you know, regular three-point shooter. But I remember if this was before the three-point revolution and we both were kind of like, yeah, I think he can probably shoot the three. We just haven't seen it yet. Do you remember having that conversation or how at that point in Al Horford's career, it was like he was like a 55% mid-range shooter. And just if he could step behind the line, he'd be that much more effective at opening up the space for other people and get another point. The effort that Al put into it to, you know, kind of take it back. behind that That's one of the great, you know, at least from a coaching perspective and especially as a young or a first time head coach to, to take a player and, and kind of grow his game and expand or help him grow it and help him expand it and get just complete buy-in from Al. I mean, he's such a great pro. He's such a great worker. And, you know, it's just, you know, it was, it was so great to work with him. And, you know, I, I do think, you know, my memory, a little bit of it too was, you know, Kenny Atkinson, who's now done amazing things in Brooklyn, you know, it's like he makes them in practice. He does it. We work on it. And then just to, so I think, even before I got there, or if not before I got there, certainly that summer, there was, you know, there was some practice reps. There was some, there was some, you know, evidence, or there was some like, you know, food to chew on. And then I think just, you know, giving him the green light, telling him how important it was to our team, how important it was to our system and philosophical approach to the game. Um, you know, and it, it's, you know, like you said, it's crazy. It's five years ago now and how the game is evolved and changed and you know hopefully I was one of those guys that helped it and the system that was put in place in Atlanta is you know maybe helped something that's helped um, move the game and change the game and um, certainly you know those things are part of what make you get up in the morning get excited about you know coming to film and practice and vitamins and those things so oh yeah I remember the Al Horford <laughs> conversation yeah the the crazy thing about Al Horford is you know he is in many ways like the ultimate five-dimensional player. You know, he's just, uh, he can defend at a high level. He can pass, he can dribble. Uh, He might not rack up 20 points a night, but I I feel like people, uh, if they want their kid to be a big man, you 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 better watch a lot of Al Horford film um, because he is just, he's, he checks off a ton of those boxes. I want to, I want to bring up the, the story I wrote this week. Uh, It hasn't come out yet since we are uh, having this conversation, but, I was kind of amazed by NBA players, their ability to shoot from range at three point line. I'm talking about like four point line area, like 28 feet, mm-hmm. 30 feet. And Brooke Lopez is right now. Uh, he's four for tw- uh, five for 12. Sorry, five for 12, small sample size from 30 to 40 feet. Where is this going? Like this, this rep, the three point revolution do you have to recalibrate yourself? Like what is a good shot these days? And when, when a uh, Brooke Lopez fires up a 35 foot or a 32 footer, what goes through your head? 
great question. I, I wish, you know, it's like if we could be in there and there, there are a few times where I'm like, I'm like, yeah, bro. It's like, really? Um, <laughs> but I will just say like, it's, he's been so great, you know, and he makes so many threes for us and he creates so much space for us. And, and I really just want him, you know, playing with a ton of confidence, shooting with a ton of confidence and, and where, I mean, I don't, I don't think I've done much. He, he just has, he has great confidence. He just lets it fly and he lets it fly from 35. And, and if you want him to, you know, really, I think, you know, embrace his role, embrace what he's doing. And, and it's, it's, you know, the team loves it. It's, it's, it's when he makes them, it's, it's great. And I believe he can make them and it's, it's a makeable shot for him. And like you said, you know, the five for 12 is obviously a pretty good percentage. And so there is that first sometimes gut reaction where you're like, God, that's a little deep. Um, but then, I immediately go back to this is who we are. This is who we want Brooke to be. He's just been so great for us really everywhere. But, you know, if we're talking about making threes, he makes a ton of threes. He shoots a ton of threes. And all that does is create space for Giannis and Chris and Malcolm and Bled and everybody else around him. And now he's started driving it from the three-point line and finishing. And, you know, we talk about his – I could, I could do a, a whole – you want me on another podcast, we say do a whole podcast on nothing but Brooke's defense. And I'd be like, I'm in. It's it's amazing what he does defensively for us. So he can he can jack it from the half court line. He he's got he's got freedom. He can do whatever he wants. So are you encouraging that the the half court shot? Uh, I hope he doesn't <laughs> listen to the podcast. <laughs> you might have to go back and edit that out. No no no, we're not doing that. Not allowed. Not here. <laughs> got it. Here's a little insight because I kind of had this theory that I wanted to test, which is I believe. That long, deep threes, which I call logo threes because they take them from the logo. So like Steph's really mm-hmm. good at this. Trey's really good at that. Trey Young, Eric Gordon, Brooke Lopez, Damian Lillard, amazing at logo threes. So these are threes between 30 and 40 feet. I asked some stat guys to crunch the numbers for me. What is the offensive rebound rate on these deep threes? Because my physics teacher in high school would probably agree that it's just physics that if you are shooting it from a far distance, that's going to careen off the rim at a higher velocity and therefore not fall in front of the rim. It's going to bounce way over those big trees in the beginning at the rim. And the offensive team is just going to pick up a lot more offensive rebounds because it's in unorthodox places that it bounces way over their heads and then the guards can grab them. So I asked the stat uh, guys that I know to crunch the numbers in predictable.com and pbpstats.com. It's shocking, Mike, the numbers that you get on offensive rebounds, the rate that you get these offensive rebounds off of deep threes. So the normal above the break, so middle of the court, not corner threes, the normal rebound rate is 20%. You you recover 20% of your missed threes on above Mm -hmm. the break, like shorter threes. When they're deep threes, it goes up to 30%. And when you go to wow. 34 or 35 feet, so this is kind of by half court, you're getting at a 50% offensive rebound rate because of that bounce. And so I'm like, wait a minute. If you can take deeper threes at a, a normal rate, like a fairly good rate, like I'm talking 35% and 40%, but you're able to recover the offensive rebound or get second chance opportunities at a higher rate than normal, that's pretty valuable information, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think we just came up with the Haberstro two for one. <laughs> instead of the instead of the end of quarter two for one, we got the thirty-five foot just try and make it. If you don't, you're gonna get the rebound and you got a second shot. You got, you know, 
some 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 mathematical for sure it's a no-brainer we should be doing it more mike mike i came up with the logo three but i got one better bogo three buy one get one free oh i love it i love it the bogo three okay the bogo three yeah because you you know i'm sure you sat close enough to the bench sometimes when 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 a guy misses a three and somehow it bounces and it's like two for a dollar or something like that and they all think you know the guy's gonna make it on his second shot so we got the bogo three i i mean it's so funny because i think these threes and and shooting them and you know i i I would say historically never been a, a guy that, you know, emphasized offensive rebounding or second chance and, you know, just really prioritize transition D transition to transition yeah. D. But, you know, some of this conversation and some of what you're talking about, you know, can you find a way to get some possession, still be great in transition defense, but, you know, maybe you do get some of these longer rebounds and, um, you know, these are the kind of things that you come to a coach's meeting and you might walk into this, you know, I don't know if they've done the physics thing with your high school teacher, but, Similar type conversations in coaches' meetings. Yeah, because I asked James Borrego this, who was an assistant under Pop. You know what that's like. And he yeah. was go- they were going against the Houston Rockets a couple years ago when Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon were taking these bombs just like 30, 35 feet. And uh, Pop was just like, you know what? We need to box out Patrick Beverly and keep an eye on him because he gets these long rebounds, offensive rebounds, all the time. He snipes these offensive rebounds. Forget about crashing to the basket. Crash to the free throw line, the elbow area. And they handled him pretty good, that series. And I asked Mike D'Antoni about it, and he's like, we we never talk about the miss. You know, I, I asked him, like, hey, did you, like, when you were okay with Eric Gordon and these guys taking longer threes, were you like, part of you were like, hey, uh, if we can get the offensive rebound at a higher rate, that's good. Like, it's giving us a better opportunity at second-chance points. And he just laughed at me. He's like, we never talk about misses. We never talk about what we do when we miss a shot. But um, this does seem like this is kind of this new wrinkle in the NBA is as teams are setting up further and further away from the from the basket and further away from the three-point line, are there little inefficiencies that you can exploit? And I'd imagine you as a coach, those deep, long, offensive rebounds must be maddening, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, we're taking a smaller section of, of, you know, these three point shots, but I would just tell you that it's maddening on a, just a more generic level on, on, you know, teams are shooting more threes and uh, your team's habits on shot, you know, shot goes up and it's interesting how often sometimes defenders defenses will just kind of, they'll just gravitate closer and closer to the rim, closer and closer to the chart circle. And all of a sudden the ball just bounces over their head and, and they don't get the rebound. And it's just like, you know, can we, can we try to change the mentality, change a little bit of how we rebound? And, and it's, it's, uh, it's something we see a lot on film. We talk about, and it certainly, you know, rears its head, you know, more and more with, uh, with teams taking more and more threes. So how do you kind of reprogram? Cause it seems like the NBA is changing faster and faster. Like, how do you, you can't teach a guy like, Hey, stop boxing out. Like that seems very fundamentally bad. Um, but like when I think about the physics of it, if I'm getting boxed out at the rim and the ball goes over my head, I've kind of boxed you out. You know, I've now, if the ball is landing over by the free throw line, the defender was, essentially boxing you out, but now the tables have turned and I've boxed that guy out. And it seems like, man, that seems like fundamental basketball is flipped on its head. Yeah, no, (laughs) 
man, this is getting a lot deeper, a lot more into like the minutia, but it's, it's the, and there's, there's, I would just say, you know, some coaches are box out coaches. Some coaches are go get it coaches. And there's players that just have their own ways of being great defensive rebounders or being poor ones. And, you know, it's like, I do think, you know, whether it be film, you know, some, some drill work and you just got to keep heightening their awareness, whatever it is you believe in. You know, I think film is such a big part of the NBA. You just got to keep kind of, you know, showing it, talking about it, having those conversations, holding them accountable. And, you know, obviously some of the biggest rebounds or some of the biggest plays are, you know, can, can swing a game at the end of a game. And the players see that enough. They start to understand. And I think, you know, when you talk about it, you'll start to see them understand, you know, where they're rebounding positioning or whatever habits you want to instill in them. You know, they, they'll start to take form. I, I think the where the rebounds are going is a good conversation, boxing out, not boxing out even though I know exactly what you're talking like that, you know, you put your butt to a guy and then all of a sudden you're on the baseline. He's getting the rebound. It's like, what are you doing? So more than I've talked about box out in a long time. I know. I know. I haven't talked about boxing out since high school. So I'm glad we can do it together on, on the Haber show. Last question here before I let you go in 2015, you won 60 games and things went sideways against the Cavs that year. And you lost in the Eastern conference finals. If you're at like 59 wins with a game to go, are you just hoping not to hit that 60 win plateau? Cause I'm kind of feeling like you're unfairly judged by hitting that 60 win plateau. Oh, Mike Budenholzer, he can't win in the playoffs. Remember when he won 60 games with the Hawks and look what happened against LeBron in the playoffs. Are you like secretly hoping Mike to like, not get to that 60 wins in the regular season. So it doesn't become this thing. No, no. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I really don't care about 60. Well, if we're playing well going into the playoffs, the thing that's, you know, so, uh, so interesting. I'll just say anybody that makes the conference finals is that is done well, they've done well in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, that series, uh, Jared, you know, it, it's funny. Jared Smith hits a few shots and some things happen in the first game and really the second game. And, LeBron's a hell of a force. I think he made eight straight NBA finals. So I, I think that it's strange to me how a conference finals team all of a sudden it didn't do well. I'm like, you're one of the last four teams playing and you won 60 games in the regular season. We keep doing the same thing day in, day out. We coach and, you know, we've had a lot of success and we're excited about the playoffs. If we went 60, we went 61, we went 58, we went 56. It really doesn't matter. You know, the playoffs are really hard. The first round is hard. The second round is even harder. The conference finals are even harder. And the, the team that wins it all, it's amazing. It's a hell of a journey. And I um, certainly hope we can be that team that's standing in the end. But uh, there's a lot of successes uh, for the teams that, you know, along that journey. Um, you know, so that that part I don't really get is how people can consider a conference final. Uh, you don't win in the playoffs. But other than that, life is good. I feel like we just need to like, go with a final four. It's like call it a yeah. final four because in, in no one, no one trashes a team for getting to the final four, right? Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good call. We, we, uh, I'm sure the NCAA would be like some kind of copyright infringements or something, but yeah, now you conference finals, you know, it's, it's a hell of an accomplishment and you want to be, you want to keep advancing. Um, but you know, it's, uh, the playoffs are such a challenge. It's, it's, it's exciting for everybody involved. And, when it when you when you're knocked out, it's crushing. It's you know it's it's really really hard. But uh, hopefully there's some perspective and and you can appreciate you know everything you did before that. What did you get at Midwood Smokehouse here in Charlotte? 
Ooh, I think I got like a combo platter because I think we had a little bit of everything. So it was, you know, some sausage, some brisket, some ribs for sure. I'm trying to remember what our size were, but I think it was like just this smorgasbord of, yes. of uh, barbecue. And so I, I definitely thank you for your recommendation. It was definitely two thumbs up from my kids, from everybody that was with me. Definitely big fan of Midwood Barbecue there. Yeah. It was good well, stuff. What is, I'm a bit of a foodie. I have a, a podcast that just talks about a food show. So I'm a bit of a nerd on this end. So anytime you need food recommendations, let me know. What is the food thing that you, or the food or drink thing that you've learned since going to Milwaukee? Like a Milwaukee specific thing. Well, the easy one is curds. Like, I'm like, I never heard of curds before I got to Milwaukee. I'm like, what are these cheese curds? They're everywhere, and you know, every you just got to have cheese curds, and they're good. They're pretty good, but I don't think they're going to raise up to the foodie level, and where you're, you know, you have to get reservations at the res at the spot with the best cheese curds. I love a place called Ardent here. It does a like a you know a set menu and such unique flavors and pairing wine pairings, and he, then he brings in like a local beer with it. And Ardent is a big time restaurant um, that I love love here and. There's a lot of great restaurants here in town. Um, it's been fun. Um, that's, you know, I have that in common. So, you know, when we're, I'm not watching or coaching a game, I'm probably getting a good meal and a, a nice glass of wine. So uh, Milwaukee has is, is definitely been great for that. Underrated food city. That's what I hear. For sure. I agree. Thanks so much for joining me on the Haber Show podcast, Coach. And uh, best of luck the rest of the way. And man, I'm so glad you're on board with BOGO 3s. That's all I care about, really. It's done. BOGO's done. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, Tom. Thanks. And with that, another episode of The Haber Show is in the books. I want to thank Coach Budenholzer for joining me. They're doing an amazing job this season. Best of luck to him. And I do wonder, though, uh, if he's going to hit the subscribe button on this podcast. I know he enjoyed his time, it seems. But I need you. I need Mike Budenholzer. I need everybody to hit the subscribe button, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts the haber show be a big help thanks again and until next time thank you for joining me on the haber show